Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. We want to take just a few moments here and we want to remember what God has done. We want to glorify God for how exceedingly and abundantly his goodness has been seen in our lives. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but we have a new parson in the house. It's not Miss Terry. It is a new uh, Bezalel that is here. Bezalel Judah Parsons that is here in the house. Joins with an Ariel Batzion Triester that we just recently received. The Lord is good to this house. The Lord is good to this church. In the last four years, less than four years, including the babies that are still to be born in our midst today, we will have 47 babies born in less than four years. Y'all get that? In case, uh, let me just. Of course let you me, do. You gave birth to them. Let me speak to all my engineer friends in here. That's averaging one baby per month for the last four years. Wow. I, I can do that too. The truth is, is that many of the births that have been here have required miraculous interventions. Yeah. The God of all creation is increasing this house. Everybody say increase. increase. We've had increase in miraculous healings here in this building with bodies here in this family, our own dearly beloved that are here that are actually getting healed miraculously. The God himself has been leading us in some incredible ways. We've had increase in our understanding, in our revelation of the word of God and of his spirit coming about in this house. Can somebody attest to this? Can somebody say amen? Amen. We've also had increase in discipleship of homes. I mean, think about it. Anybody stronger now in the Lord than you were six months ago, yeah. a year ago, yeah. five years ago, yeah. God is increasing us. Uh, I'd say every day he's increasing us. We've increased in our marriages, in our children, in our souls, and in our resources, just as he has promised, yeah. he has fulfilled. Yeah. I mean, 47 kids in less than four years. That's increase. <laughs> That's fruitfulness right there. On Sunday, look, we engaged with the same call that God made to Isaiah. You guys remember this. A call for us to enlarge the place of our tents, stretch wide the curtains, lengthen the cords, and strengthen the stakes. And all this with the unparalleled truth. Do not hold back. And here's the purpose. Do not hold back so you can increase. That's the unparalleled truth. God has blessed us with increase, and yet he is calling us to continue to increase. Are we done yet, church? Are we perfected in his presence? There is more ahead of us. More increase. More families to be a part of LCM. More teams to develop here at LCM. More generations to have here at LCM. And there's more. There's more difficulties for us to face together. There are more struggles that we have to go through. There's more warfare that we have to persist in. Because that's not the end of the increase. We're after more victory and glory for God's name. I want to remind you of a very clear principle that we're going to build on tonight. Where you have increased fruitfulness, it is always met with increased opposition. 
Let me say that again. Where you have increased fruitfulness, it is always met with increased opposition. They go hand in hand. We see it in the word repeatedly. So with that stated, it's time to drive out the opposition. Come on. Because God wants an increase in our lives, and he wants us to participate in it. Has anybody experienced what Pastor Matt is talking about? you got an increase in fruitfulness going on in your life, and you've also got an increase in the opposition. Yes. I mean, does anybody have, can, can anybody give me a testimony of this week? I mean, this is a real word for us tonight, isn't it? Yes. Let's all turn to Philippians chapter 3, because God has got something for you. He's got something for this flock tonight. Philippians chapter 3. Somebody say, increase when you get there. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Philippians 3.12 says this. Not that I have already attained all this. Not that I have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I just want to tell you something. That this is Paul and Timothy speaking to the church at Philippi. You know why I wanted to tell you that? Because I just love it when the word of God shows us that there are always teams involved. Yes. You'll often hear it said that Paul wrote this book. At the beginning, in verse one, you will clearly see that it is Paul and Timothy speaking to these people. See, right before this verse that we've read, there's de they've declared that they've counted everything of this world, all of the success that they could find, they've counted it as refuse. They've counted it as dung. And they are desiring to know him, that they might know him and the power of his resurrection and being made like him so that they could participate in the very sufferings of God. This is what is said right before we get to this verse that we're reading. And then, now Paul and Timothy plainly declare, this is what our goal is. This is the increase that God has given us. Look what he has done in our midst, but we're not there yet. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody can say that in, with all your heart? You're not there yet. Yeah. Hasn't obtained it. Hasn't already arrived at their goal. See, how do you deal with this tension, church? See, on a good day, it doesn't feel like much of a tension. Because you know that, that God is going to come through. But what about on the difficult days when opposition is right there in your face? Isn't there a tension that's, yes, we know what he has done, but we are still yet to get to where we're supposed to get. We haven't seen the fullness yet. We've seen glimpses of it. We've seen promises of it. We've seen it in ever increasing form, but we are not yet where we're going to be. Church, what is the answer to this that Paul and Timothy spell out, spell out for us? That we press on. Somebody say press on you got to press on and take hold of what he's already said to you. To actually bring it into reality. We serve the God who calls the things that are not and makes them come into existence like Romans 4 says. It's time for us to press on in this house. Man, I know we got sicknesses, but we're not going to let that stop us. I know we're having difficulties. You know how I know? Because God gave us the right word for you for tonight. See, you're not there yet, though. We can trust in what God has done. We can remember what he has done, and it gives us the hope, the strength, the power, the encouragement to carry on into what we are supposed to do. Do you know why? Because when God makes a promise to you, it occurs and it happens in your life little by little. True. Don't you know that already? Can anybody remember that? Let's turn to Exodus chapter 23 together. Say increase whenever you get there. 
Exodus 23, verse 28. We're going to read this in the ESV sound booth. Oh, get it. Increase. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and Hittites from before you. Oh, that's how they get out of there. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you. Until you have increased and possessed the land. Well, our father always has our best interest in mind. He knows how to pace out our progress. So that in the end... We inherit fully what he's been promised, and we're at an increased state that can fully occupy the promises that he's made to us. Look, you'll recognize the content of this passage. It's the same as I remember number three. Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh, and moreover, what he will do to your enemies. Church, the hornets of sickness. The hornets of discouragement and difficulty, the very things that we're experiencing right here, right now, they're designed for our very good and by our good father, because he wants to demonstrate his ability to drive them out before us right here in front of our face. Not some distant victory. I'm talking about victory on your doorstep on a daily basis. The tension is always like Philippians 3.12. Lord, you have promised this, and I am fully committed. I'm fully walking in trust, God, and obedience, but we are not yet in full possession of everything that you have promised. This is a little-by-little little process. You should begin to find encouragement as you just look back to yesterday and see the progress that your Father is helping you achieve. That what I face today and overcome is a sign that God is helping me achieve this little by little. Amen. And it's little by little. Why? Because you need to be able to increase enough for you to possess what God has promised. For you and your generations to inhabit the territory that he's outlined for you since day one. Do you want to know more? Yeah. All right, come on, let's continue. So the difficulties that you're going through right now, I'm just looking, and uh, tonight we want to speak to you as fathers would speak to sons. We want to speak to you as pastors that will speak yes. to their family. This, this is not supposed to be a theological uh, treatise on these topics tonight. What we want to do is talk to you. See, I can look out and see Paul and Lynette Makowick, and I can tell you that at, I want to tell you, church, I'm proud of them. They are making strides of increase. They are standing up for righteousness and doing some very difficult things. So you know what the immediate opposition is? Is Lynette had physical things go on today. Amen, Makowicz, way to go. This is the expected outcome when you start to increase in your life. Man, when I think about a family like the Robinsons, don't y'all love the Robinsons? I mean, my goodness, you should love these people. They are making strides about homeschooling their kids, about making incredible sacrifices. So you know what happens in their family? Much like what's happening in some of yours and there's sickness that's coming. There's difficulties that are coming in. Man, Marlon is getting blessed with new job, an incredible blessing, and he's having to uh, find that there is a learning curve to get into what he's supposed to get into. See, I remember when the Lord led us 
into Austin and we bought a house. It was the biggest house that we had ever purchased. It was also one of the cheapest houses that we had ever purchased. And what we found out is when we got in this house, it was beautiful. It was ready. We were so excited and we didn't have enough seats for the rooms in it. It looked kind of sparse. See, we had not increased enough to be able to handle the new increase that God was giving us. It took us a while to increase in what he had actually given us. See, that's what's going on here, church. Don't you worry about it. I know we've got people suffering with headaches. We've got people suffering with sicknesses. We've got all kinds of things going on. Praise be to God, our Father. That's exactly what it's supposed to be, Bonham. There's supposed to be difficulties, but we're looking at it and we are encouraged because we know that God is bringing about increase in our life. And we also know that that will require that we drive out the enemy that is occupying the land. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Look, we're going to lay down some practical application for you guys of how to increase and drive out. Because anytime that you have an increase of fruitfulness, you're going to have an increase in opposition. And God has set us up to be victorious in that process every single time. So let's go to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38. As we go through this practical application, we're going to cover four major points. Four major points of how to increase and drive out. In fact, that's the title to tonight's message. Increase and drive out. Let's start with Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. Distracted. By all the preparations that had to be made. Had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I've heard this in my household a couple of times. <laughs> but just, just think about this. How exactly it, it, it was stated here, right? Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. There was an expectation, a compulsion of, hey, there's something right in front of you that you really need to pay attention to, but to really serve this well, I need to go prepare and do all of these background things so that I can eventually focus on the priority right in front of me. Does anybody relate to this? Yeah. Kind of like, you know, whenever you invite the pastors over for dinner. And the two hours right before that we show up, that you get very consumed about all the preparations and miss the fact of just being in shalom right there in the moment. Just hypothetical. I'm just throwing it out there. Chew on it. No, no, no idea at all. And the whole, the whole sentiment is putting it on Jesus' shoulders, right? Lord, don't you care? Shouldn't you be concerned about my sister, that she is completely out of shalom. Yeah, that's clearly the problem is how much God cares about it. That's right. clearly the I'll issue. I'll call to your attention her deficiencies because that's the priority right now. Tell her to help me. Well, this can look a lot like the, the season that we're in right now. We're, we're in a, a season of marriages happening. Weddings are going on. 
And when it comes to weddings, there's a lot of preparations that got to be done, That's right? That's true. That's true. I mean, you got flowers, you got colors, you got dresses, you have, you know, what kind of wine to use for communion, you got who's going to be there, all these things. There's so many details, and God's honest truth are just really distractions from the main purpose. The main purpose of a wedding is that the two shall become one. It's about a covenant being established. Everything else is just a distraction from that main point. When you make the covenant of the two becoming one, the main point and priority, focus on that first. Everything falls in line every single time. So I'll just I want to re uh, reference this real quick about distractions. I mean, there's wedding distractions. There's all kind of preparations that need to happen right before you have a baby. I mean, the bag's got to be packed and all that. But the whole point is that you just have a baby. There's preparations that we all go through. So you single men, the way that you prepare yourself to go to work. I'm speaking in faith in the name yeah. of Jesus. I'm talking about the grooming, the, you, you know, know. The weekly bath, acts. you know. Yeah, weekly bath, you know, as opposed to monthly. But the way that you diligently prepare before going to, to accomplish something. Matthew 6, 25 kind of covers all the bases and for everybody in here. We're speaking to everybody. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. That's kind of a big, big broad brush. It covers everything. Nobody's left out in this thing. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Well, that's convicting me. Yes. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I mean, think about that. Every time that you see a sparrow, a finch, uh, even a nasty crow, God is the one who sustains them and feeds them. And it goes on to say, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? No, we know that up here, but you know where we don't know it? Right here. We think that by taking control and being able to deflect where the priorities are supposed to be, by falling into the trap of distractions, that we can somehow help God's will out in preparing for what is, should be a priority. Distractions are designed to pull you away from the direction that the Lord has given you. Let me say that again. Distractions are designed to pull you away from the direction the Lord has already given you and particularly already given you through his word. Yeah. Church, there are lots of distractions that are going on. There's distractions that can go on in a room. There's distractions that are going on in your life. There's distractions that are going on daily, just running by and there's details and it keeps you busy but you're not accomplishing anything. Has anybody ever got to the end of the day flat worn out and can't hardly recap what you did today? Yep. What did you do? I stayed constantly busy with distractions because I wasn't achieving what God wanted me to do. Look at the next few verses. I want, to, I want you to see Matthew 10 verses 41 and 42, and I'm going to read it to you in the ESV. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, 
but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. We're just going to be real. This is family talk, right? Yes, it is. When I hear Martha, Martha, you know what it immediately reminds me of? How God himself addressed very, very, very few people in the word of God by calling their name twice. Moses, Moses. Abraham, Abraham. Samuel, Sam. Saul, Saul. There was a few that he addresses with two names, calling their name twice. And this is one where Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and trouble. Do you know what the distractions show? What the distractions are proof of? This is an enemy attack against you because it's taught, it's designed to build your anxiousness, to add to your trouble. See, we think of spiritual warfare as being uh, just a random, you know, demonic guy who wants to meet you out in the street and fight. Just randomly speaking, of course. At a crawfish boil. At a crawfish boil. <laughs> the Sunday after. Resurrection Sunday. See, most people think about that as being the primary example of spiritual warfare. I've got to tell you that I think a much more potent weapon of the enemy is to keep throwing distractions at you and you don't even know that you've gotten off track. You don't even know that you're anxious. You don't even know that you're troubled, but you're walking around constantly distracted by what you're feeling by the anxiousness. Has anybody ever gone through your day and you're going through and then you realize that, golly, I'm tense? Uh, my heart is beating fast. Why is this going on? It's because you've been distracted from what God has for you. What if you put your name there? Instead of Martha, Martha, Wade, Wade, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Do you see how Jesus comes in and speaks to this and goes right to the heart of the matter? See, you think that it's all the other issues that are there. And Jesus Christ himself, speaking tenderly to Martha, says, you have only one thing that you need to focus on. Wow, wouldn't that be much more simple in our day if we had one thing to focus on? Ah, but we do. We only have one thing to focus on. It is the direction that God has given us from his word. That one thing, the the, uh, complete Jewish Bible say, there was only one thing that is essential, one thing that is necessary, one thing that you even need to bother with. There's only one. Everybody say only one. one. There's only one thing that you need to worry about. See, those distractions are keeping you from the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion. Not the distractions, not the anxious nature. She's chosen a good portion which will not be taken from her. Come on now. How quickly can you have your joy taken from you on a given day? Man, how quickly can you exit from praying through the tabernacle with your family and uh, think, say, and do things that no Christian really should even be considering? How quickly does that happen for you? Because it happens really quickly with me. And it's because I've lost the one thing that matters. Let me ask you this. When you have thoughts and direction in your life, did the scripture actually reveal it to you? Are you worried about what your brothers might say? Did the, did the word itself show you where to go and what you must do? Or are you considering all the details as if you were having a Ben Franklin pros and cons chart? Let me do this by seeing how this weighs out. Are you weighing it out through the word itself? 
How do we know if our Nabal characteristics, our Nabal traits are influencing our decisions if we constantly stay distracted? Was this thought driven from the scripture or just derived from my distracted mind? My deviant heart, my depraved will. Is this something that I'm just concerned about and I'm trying to overcome it? How do you know if you have hidden motives or fears that are at work in you? How do you know if you're distracted? Isn't that the problem with distraction? Is you think you're actually much more attuned in than you really are. Ask my children when they did homework. No, dad, I will just listen to music. What are you listening to? No, I can really listen to my music, dad, and do the homework. I can do both 100%. No, you cannot. See, it requires that we have the word of God at work in our life. Now, this is LCM. You know that you're supposed to have the word of God at work in your life. How many decisions do you make a day without even remotely considering what the word says? Hebrews 4 gives us a picture of what it's supposed to be. For the word of God is as active and alive. Let me, I'm just going to read it to you. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Sharper than a double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. Do you know what blocks that? Do you know what the opposition to the word doing that is your distracted nature? Is my distracted nature. Anybody had a, a day or a week lately that has just been, feels like the distractions are monumental? No singular thing is too difficult for you. But it's thing after thing after thing after thing that keeps you from actually having the word pierce your heart and pierce your soul. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Not your distracted nature, not the anxiousness. See, what we have to do, church, is we have to have an increase in our direction from the word of God. We actually have to turn to him and say, Lord, there is only one thing that matters. And as we do that, as we increase in the one thing that matters, the direction from his word, it will drive out the distractions. It will. Church, say, I will, I will increase, increase the, word. the word. I will I will drive out distraction. Drive out distraction. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Turn with me to John 6. We'll go to our second item. John 6, and we'll pick up in verse 60. Say increase whenever you get there. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, John said to them, does this offend you? Hmm. Then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Look, Jesus just taught on eat my flesh and drink my blood. And this is their response. It was a deliberate challenge to their discipleship. But what came out of them was what was opposing their ability to increase. What they needed to drive out. And it's found in a statement that he said, does this offend you? Well, he's stating the obvious because yes, they're grumbling about it. 
that second item that we're looking at that is a, an opponent to increase is offenses. And particularly as you engage the word, what comes out of you? You know, what came out of these guys is they said, look, this is a hard teaching because it was a matter of trust more than it was just a matter of doctrinal application. It's a trust issue. If they had trusted the father, they would have trusted the word that was coming from the son. That he was giving them words of life, words led by the spirit and produced a way of life. This is kind of like being at LCM. Look, we, we seek to live out what we preach. That is the starting point. And being here is about being yoked to a way of life. And it's built upon the spirit and the word in agreement. Many times I've seen visitors come in and they say, we, they say, we admire you guys for being like a church in the book of Acts. We love the fact that you adhere to the word like you do. But I know within a short period of time, it's going to challenge their relationship with the Father and call them up to a higher standard. Yeah. And what comes out of them is typically offenses. What comes out is this is a hard teaching at this church. But let's be truthful. It's not just about visitors. It's not just what visitors say. That's what you guys say. That's what you wrestle with on the inside. Man, I, I've been growing. There's been some increase, but this is just the next level. I'm not sure if I can live up to. The disciples' offense blinded them from seeing how Jesus was leading them to increase in their trust in him. Trusting what he said before they ever fully understood what it meant. Yeah. Even after all the evidence of how God has increased our lives, there are those who do not believe this way of life is for them. And we know that it actually is. And remember, it's not a matter of doctrine. It's a fundamental matter of trust. Let's look at verse 66, the same chapter. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This was an actual real event that caused many disciples to turn back. Verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Church, we want to let you know that part of that spiritual warfare that goes on, one thing that happens is there's just blatant and outright distractions that occur. Another part of an enemy attack against us is the fact that there is increased opposition and it comes through the idea and through the concept of offense. It's a classic tool of the enemy. I mean, it was abundant in Jesus' day. It was abundant in John 6 and it is a prolific snare to the body of Christ. As you are increasing in your fruitfulness, watch out for this stumbling block. This scandalon that the enemy tries to entrap you, just like many of Jesus' disciples here in this passage. I love the fact that Jesus turns to the 12 in verse 67 and just, has, just brings it right out in the open. You want to leave too? Is this too much for you? Do, you? do you not like this? You want to be offended too? Because there's opportunities for us to be offended and each one of us to be offended. But look at the right way to how to handle this idea of offense. Peter says it in verse 68, where are we going to go? Who are we going to go to? 
You have the words of life. It was under your direction that we even came to life. Isn't that right, Juan? It's under your direction, Jesus, that we've been discipled, that we've got growth, that we're growing and we understand a vision for the future. Man, what if it's not just Jesus speaking to his disciples there? What if it's about us here in this house? It's amazing. It's amazing what goes on in this area, how there can be an undercurrent, the very place that's bringing life to your soul, the very place that you're seeing growth, the very place that your generations are coming into fruition and that you are getting hold of discipleship is now a place of offense. Church, I'm just, I'm saying we got to be careful about this because it is a classic. Everybody say classic. classic. It's a classic tool that the enemy uses. I mean, it's obvious. It happens in waves. It happens in cycles. And guess what that means? That means because we're increasing, there's another wave and cycle. And so we're just calling it, we're just waving a big flag and saying, hey, 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 friends, don't you get offended. Don't you let this tool of the enemy get in into your life. Why? Because Jesus, you are the only ones that has, where else are we going to go? You have given us the words of life. We have come to believe and trust in who you are, God, and where you've put us. We trust in the eternal nature of your word, even if it does seem harsh or difficult or that I can't yet live up to it. See, I trust that I'm just in a tension between what God has said and where he's going to bring me to. The increase that I need to have so that I can fully occupy and possess the land. Psalm 119 verse 50 says, my comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise, your word is actually the thing that preserves my life. Church, it's time for us to increase your trust in the word. Everybody say, I will. I will. Increase my trust. In the word. word. And when you do that, it will drive out offense and it will drive out the enemy before you. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to keep going. As you're turning there, I just want to say something about offenses real quick. Offenses always have a form of truth that, that it uses to attach to. And what an increase in trusting God's word does is that it reveals the falsehood of that truth and the motive of that truth. I've seen over and over again, men and women have offense and run to God's word and watch the word release them from the snare of that offense. Yes, we're addressing this issue, but your pastors are giving you what you need so that it preserves your life. It preserves our call. We need every person that's in this church to be ever increasing in this church. And we're going to make sure that offense is not an obstacle that is going to cause us to decrease. We're going to deal with it now through the word so that we all increase. Are you guys in 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 8. We've talked about distractions as our first opposition from the enemy. We talked about offense. Being in more than just one place in this house, we're seeing it and so we're addressing it. The very third thing that we want to address with you is the topic of despair as an opposition against what God is doing. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the troubles. Somebody say troubles. Troubles. Troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Everybody say great pressure. Great pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure. Somebody say endure. So that we despaired of life. 
See, this progression is, is there are troubles and difficulties that come. And then a great pressure comes. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't have to ask the question. That great pressure that you feel about what, what has to be done, but you're just pretty convinced that you're not going to be able to. Far beyond our ability to endure. Isn't that a, an amazing phrase? It really is. The men who have already endured it are sitting down writing about it to you, telling you that this was more than we can endure, except they did. Yeah. <laughs> except they did. Enough to be able to get it in the Holy Scripture for you and I to go, oh, wait a minute. It wasn't that their feeling of despairing of life was even accurate. It was that was, feel, that was what was going on to oppose God's work in their life. There were troubles. They had great pressure far beyond their ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Feeling like you've received a sentence of death in a particular vision and dream that you have. Feeling like you received a sentence of death as far as hopefulness that God will still do something for you. Fear, you feel like there's a sentence of death in something that you know that God has yet put out before you and you're just not there yet. And you're saying it's too far for me to go and I can't get there. Yes, I acknowledge that he was good, but this tension between there and where I'm supposed to go is just too much. It feels like I'm going to die in the process. Feeling like you've received the sentence of death, death or despairing for life. This is why we do not entrust ourselves to our own hearts. Amen. What does Jeremiah 17, 9 say? That the heart is deceitful and it, it's beyond cure. Your heart and your emotions about how you feel, about where you need to go, and about the despair that can wash over you is not what you must go by. You must ignore that. You must throw away that. You must drive away that feeling because God is here and saying, I want you to increase. And when you increase in what I'm saying to you, when you increase in what I have said, it will drive out the despair. Otherwise, we're kind of like Job in Job uh, 40. Where he's saying, where God is saying, hey, I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to have to answer. You better brace yourself like a man. Are you going to discredit my justice to make yourself feel better about your case? Are you going to discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? What an incredible question. What an incredible question. I got to tell you that the first time that this passage of scripture hit me right that it hit me overwhelmingly, it's because that I realized that I did that all the time. I was questioning God's character. I was doubting that he could do something in me. I didn't doubt that he would do it in you. I doubted that he would do it in me. But every time I let that despair wash over me, I was actually condemning God and his ability to justify the way that I felt. To justify the feeling that I had the sentence of death on me and that I could not do it and despairing for my own life. See, this is not what this church is going to do. No. We're going to increase and be able to drive out despair. And pastor's going to help you to learn how to do that. Let's continue in the verse. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who in fact raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. Yeah. 
On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Increasing your depth in the word of God will enable you to endure far beyond your own ability. Your strength comes from the depth of the word inside of you. You'll be able to remain grounded in God's character even when you feel the despair of life inside your soul. It doesn't move you from knowing who God is. You don't lie fault or blame on his character by wallowing in despair. See, they felt they had received a sentence of death. But what you see here is the resurrection power of the depth of God's word inside of him and knowing the consistency of God's character to increase him and resurrect them. The word of God, the word of God is able to go down to the grave, deliver you up from despair, anoint your head, anoint your mind with oil, and get you back to your call to increase, strengthen you with the ability to drive out. Let me read to you Isaiah 61, verse 3. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Ladies, you want to know how to make yourself beautiful? Have the word of God richly dwell within you, and these characteristics will come right on out. That's true. That's an extreme makeover. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Having a depth of God's word in you gives you the oil of joy. It gives you a garment of praise. Think about those times when the word of God welled up inside of you and it delivered you out of the depths of despair. The situation never changed, but you did. God's word came alive in you and what was once death and despair then became radiant and joyful. What does the oil of joy and garment of praise look like? Turn with me to Colossians 3 and we're going to read it. Say, increase and drive out when you get there. Colossians 3, and we're going to read verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And it continues. Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And where did it all start? The message of Christ, the Word of God dwelling in you richly. See, He's designed us to operate and function on His Word and His Word alone. It is the one thing that is essential, and it can never be taken from you. When the word of God is richly dwelling in you and there's that garment of praise, there's that oil of joy. Praise and joy can't be taken from you after that moment. It is ongoing and inspirational. Let me read to you Revelation 1.9 that mirrors this. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. 
was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You think he had the opportunity to give in to despair? You think he had the opportunity just to kind of give up and say, why well, I'm here, why even increase? But that's not what he did. As he entrusted his soul to the living God and let the word of Christ dwell within him richly, God gave him revelation and a furthering of what the word already said. And he was able to do it with a garment of praise, with an oil of joy, even to the point of trying to be boiled as a means of execution, and they couldn't kill him. <laughs> he died of old age, the only apostle to do so. See, when you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, there is no sentence of death that can be fulfilled on your life. There's no despair that can settle on you. No opposition can resist it. And you're able to drive that despair right on out. The, to increase your depth of the word helps drive out the despair. Look what 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 says. I'll just read it to you. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. <laughs> Frail, fragile, breakable. To show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It is, in fact, a treasure that is in a jar of clay. Verse 8 says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Anybody felt hard-pressed lately? Yeah, but you're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. We're always having to struggle through the opposition so that we can continue to increase in a little by little fashion so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. This is the way it is for us not to rely on ourselves but on God. How do you know if you're increasing in the depth of the word in your life? You find that you're perplexed but you're not in despair. You find that you're an actual treasure that has been put inside of a jar of clay. You find that you are able to actually drive out the despair and the difficulties that are there because this is part of a little by little kind of process. You're going to increase your depth of the word to drive out despair. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 and we're going to move on to our fourth point. Say increase and drive out whenever you get there. There you go. Matthew 25, and we'll start in verse 24. Then the man who, who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. This fourth opponent to increase is fear. So I was afraid. But there's a way that he got to that understanding and position. See, the servant rightly assesses the character and expectation of the master. But he ignored the actual word of the master which was to increase what had been entrusted to him. The servant here, he's called wicked and lazy 
because he was just hiding in fear and thought it to be noble to just hand back to the master what already belonged to him. You know this bag of gold? View it in this way. It's the divine word of God that's sitting in your hand right now. This divine word that revelation comes from, out of to you. How closely, how intimately are you interacting with his word that's entrusted to you? Are you earnestly seeking his word for you each and every day? Are you drawing close to it? Or is it being buried somewhere? Are you drawing close to his word in an intimate manner, letting it search out the hidden and unseen areas of your thoughts and emotions so that you can increase the divine nature that has been entrusted to you? You look, maintaining a divine nature is not the goal. That's exactly what's seen here. He just maintained what had already been given. The goal is to have an ever in increase in your divine nature. A return to hand back to the master the divinity that was bestowed upon you to now show there's been an increase for him. Let me read to you 2 Peter 1.4 that parallels the exact sentiment of Matthew 25 that we've read, uh, read from. 2 Peter 1.4-5 through 5 says this. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason. Because you've been entrusted with a bag of gold. With a divine nature and a divine word. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And the list goes on. Every effort to draw close and intimate with God's word. Because it is is the source that enables you to drive out your fear. Verse 8 continues and gives a warning. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This has been a favorite scripture of mine because it has hit my heart on a repeated basis. Matt, what are you doing with what I've entrusted to you? Are you just guarding and making sure nothing taints what you, you've been entrusted with? Are you taking what I've given you, that revelation from last week, that revelation from this morning, and are you looking to multiply and increase it on a daily yeah. basis? Yeah. Are you taking that word I've given you and driving out this fear of inadequacy, driving out this fear that it's not good enough or that you're going to say something wrong and make a mistake? Or are you going to step out in boldness yeah. and act upon yeah. what I have given you and multiply yeah. it, increase it as you drive out that fear? Come on. Can, can everybody be relate to what Pastor Matt is saying right here? That drive that needs to get over the fear that you have so that you can actually multiply and increase what he's given you. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 40. Why don't you all turn there with me? Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. Isaiah 40 and verse 9. It says this. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. 
See the sovereign Lord. He comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Now this is setting this up and this just the warrior king that we serve that he is going forth and he's saying don't be afraid. Say it out loud. Let it grow. See the Lord is here and he's here in power. He rules with strength. He has a reward for those who are following him and he has recompense or punishment for those who are wicked. Now look at the very next verse. He tends his flock like a shepherd. (laughs) Wait a minute, I thought we were just talking about how he's got reward and recompense. Yes, he does, but look how he does it for us, church. He tends his flock like a shepherd. There's a closeness with him that he wants us to have. See, you can start to have a depth in your understanding of the word. You can start to engage with the word. I promise you that most of our problems in this church, most of your problems are because we're not engaging with the word enough. We're just not getting in there and having a depth of understanding of what the word actually says because it begins to transform us. It makes wise the simple. It enlightens our eyes. It does all kinds of things that it says that it will. But there's something about a shepherd watching over his sheep. There's a depth of your understanding. But what we're saying here is there's also an intimacy with the word that God is calling us to. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Right after he's speaking of reward and recompense, right after he's he's talking about ruling with a mighty arm, he's also one who rules by drawing you close to him. To have a motivation that is moved, like 2 Corinthians says, to be moved, to be compelled by the love of Christ to do something. You know why? Because that's how he does it with us. He draws us close so that he can tend to us. He draws close to the heart. Man, there's one thing that's just getting in the word. There's another thing that's longing to be close to him. That's longing to draw close to him. Not because of what he's going to do, but just to be close to who he is. Think about what Deuteronomy 30 says, that the word is near you. He wants it close to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so you can obey it. That's what God is trying to do is say, come close to me. Isaiah 51 says it this way. I've put my words in your mouth. Wow, Deuteronomy 30 just said it was his word. Everybody say word. Word. He put the word in your mouth. By Isaiah 51, what is it? He's putting his words in your mouth. That intimacy draws him to put his words in your mouth and he covers you with the shadow of his hand. Man, that looks like Ella holding Ariel. Putting close to you and shading with the covering of your hand so that he can put his words into your mouth. The father wants to draw us close to be able to feed us. Look at how it goes on. I put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place. He doesn't want you to lose the fact that he is powerful, that he is majestic. He's just showing you that he has a desire to draw you close for those who can see this. You can see both that he set the heavens in place and laid the foundations of the earth. And then he turns and says to the people of Zion, you are my people. An intimacy. See, church, as you increase your intimacy with the word, it will drive out the fear in your life. 
The reason that we walk around in fear is because we don't have the intimacy. We need to continue to increase in that. And I promise you, it will drive out fear. I know First John 4 says perfect love, casts it out, drives it out. That's what it is when we love and get intimate with the word of God. We love God's word because it brings us life. We want to increase in our love and dependency on the word because we need the strength to drive these things out. To get a full context of where we've been going this entire night, let me read to you from Philippians 3 again. And I'll start from verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. There is a direction of increase that the word and our father is calling us to. Don't dwell in the failures of the past. Stand up to your feet and begin to pursue an increase of what he's given you today. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's normally where I finish reading this verse. But the very next line puts it in complete context. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. It is a mature perspective to see that you are not yet having arrived at something, but you are continually pressing on and increasing to achieve it. And it takes a tenacity. It takes a diligence to, to daily drive out these opponents because God's will wants to be fulfilled inside of you. We're going to do this and we're going to do this together. So why don't we stand to our feet now? As we begin to pray, our altar is going to be open and open for you to engage and draw near to your heavenly father and expecting these two things, expecting his word to come alive to you, to speak to you, to give you direction, to bring depth, to bring trust to bring intimacy with his heart and his mind. And as his word comes alive to you at this altar, you then expect the strength to drive out the very opponents that we walk through. He'll help you identify them, and then he's going to help you put them to death. We're going to be transformed yet again here at the altar. But it starts with his word coming alive inside of you. Mighty God, we thank you for your word that is for us. Lord, this divine, divine word that brings us life and freedom. But we say, speak to us now 
through your word beyond our feelings, beyond our own thoughts, that we may know your heart and your will. Depend on it in greater fashion today. Help us increase our dependency on your word and help us strengthen us to drive out the opponents of our increase in you. 